Our scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 through 14. And this is found on your Pew Bible, uh, 959. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one home as a gift from us. Now, concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however they were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same gift, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is of the same God who empowers them all to everyone. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gift of healing by the one Spirit. To the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, you have given us the promise that your word does not return to you void, that it accomplishes what you have sent it to do. And so we ask um, with boldness and confidence that your spirit would accomplish the work that you have for your word to do in our lives today, and that it would make us more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray by the power of the spirit today. Amen. Whether it's your first day at school or maybe your first day in a new job or um, whether you're moving to a, uh, a new city, a new neighborhood, I think we all have a desire. Whether we are four years old or 14 or 44 or 84, we have a desire, I think two strong desires. And one is when we're in that new place, we want to belong and we want to feel unique. That we both want to fit in and we want to stand out. And by stand out, I don't necessarily mean that you want lots of people paying attention to you all the time, but, but you have a deep desire to know that your presence in that place makes a difference. That there's something that you uniquely bring to the table that matters, that you aren't redundant, that you aren't useless. And in different cultural contexts, um, you know, there's different emphases on those things, right? In, in modern Western culture, that's the culture that, that we inhabit, we live in, there's a, a strong emphasis on that uniqueness piece, the, the desire to, to be yourself, to stand out, to think different, to, to be an individual. Uh, more traditional cultures tend to emphasize the other, the, that belonging aspect, right? So there's, there's more of an emphasis on fitting in and belonging, that we're, we're better together, that, that you sacrifice kind of your own good for the, for the good of the group. There's a stronger group identity, a sense of, of connection to the whole, of family first, right? And there are strengths and weaknesses to, to both of those cultural emphases, 
Uh, Western culture's emphasis on the individual is a great strength there, right? It's led to all sorts of opportunity and creativity, but, but it also tends to leave us feeling fragmented, um, isolated, lonely. Uh, why? Well, it's hard to belong when you are always having to sort of be true to yourself above all else. Now, in more traditional cultures, that sense of, of belonging to this group identity um, is, provides a lot of a strength of community. There tends to be a much stronger sense of connection, a lot less loneliness, but that pressure to conform to fit in can, can lead to a stifling of, of gifts, of, of leaving us feeling invisible or anonymous. So what do we do? Which one of those is better, fitting in or standing out, belonging or being unique? Which one should we choose? Which one should we emphasize? So how do, how do we navigate this problem together? Uh, but, but I want to suggest this morning, what if it actually isn't a problem to be fixed? What if it isn't a, a mistake to be solved? But what if, it, what if it's actually a sort of a dynamic tension, a purposeful design that is designed to be celebrated, to be leveraged? And what we're going to see in this passage this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that there is a good reason we feel both a strong desire to fit in, to belong, as well as a strong pull to be unique. It's not an accident. It's on purpose. It's good, it's necessary, and it may just be evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. It may just be evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And if you only write down one thing this morning, if you only sort of take away one big idea from this message, this one, I hope it's this, that you are uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit for God's mission in the world. That you are uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit, for God's mission in the world. You have a vital role to play in God's mission in the world, and the Holy Spirit has actually gifted you for that role that he's called you to. And we're going to unpack that idea in, in kind of three main points here this morning. But before we do that, before we unpack that in those three main points, I want to jump in first to just understand a little bit, because we're kind of hopping right into the middle of this letter to the Corinthians, I, I want us to dive into what's going on in this crazy, messed up church in the city of Corinth that Paul is writing to. And, and the first thing we need to know about this passage is that it is part of a letter that the Apostle Paul, he's one of the leaders of your church, that he wrote to a Christian community in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. And, and this isn't just a letter, but it's actually a reply Paul's reply to a letter that they sent him. So it's, it's clear in reading 1 Corinthians uh, that they have sent him a letter, and now he's writing back to him. So, so notice how our scripture reading began this morning, and if you haven't had a chance to already, you can grab one of the pew Bibles, turn that to page 959. You can see this there. You can pull it up on your phone, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it begins like this. Paul says, now concerning, and then he says, now concerning spiritual gifts is the first thing he says, but that little phrase, now concerning, is a phrase that, that comes up again and again in the book of 1 Corinthians. And each time it does, it seems to be introducing sort of Paul's reply to something that they wrote to him about. So they wrote to him about a number of questions, issues, problems in the church, and now he's responding back to them saying, you know, now concerning this thing that you wrote me. 
And there were a lot of issues and problems in the Corinthian church. It's easily the most dysfunctional church in the entire New Testament that we know about. So sometimes we have this idealistic view too, if we could only go back to, to the New Testament church. Well, we wouldn't want to go back to the Corinthian New Testament church, I don't think, because if you, just a quick survey of the book, right, chapter one, there's infighting, divisions, tribal identities, Chapter three, there's spiritual immaturity. Chapter five, there's kind of this gross immorality that they are justifying. There's lawsuits among believers. Chapter six, there's hesitancy about marriage. In chapter seven, there's food offered to idols and weak consciences. In chapter eight, in chapter nine, they're despising Paul's leadership. Chapter uh, 11, people are arguing and divisions around dress code. People are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. I mean, this is, this is quite the church. I mean, would you want to attend this church? And yet Paul loves this group of Christians. He loves these churches, and he hasn't given up on them. Even this most up, this most messed up congregation, Paul hasn't given up on. On the one hand, he calls them out. He doesn't gloss over the painful truth of their ugly sin, but he doesn't only stay there. He's about to point out to them what they can bring about for restoration. The loving application of their gifts to serve one another. And that's what we get in chapter 12. Chapter 12 is really kind of a hinge point or a turning point in the letter. And that's the first thing we see in this chapter, that Christians, we are uniquely gifted. We are uniquely gifted. That you have a vital role to play in God's mission. And you are uniquely gifted for that role. And that's every single one of you here. Not just a special select few, not just, not just those who are pastors or those who work for the church or, or those who are serving and in, in, in teaching uh, kids downstairs or who are playing music. Every single one of us is uniquely gifted. And in this divided, fighting church, it seems like there were some Christians in Corinth who were suggesting that you were only spiritual, that you only had the Holy Spirit if you were exercising some sort of dramatic, miraculous ability. That you only had the Spirit if you were healing someone or if you were speaking in tongues. But Paul says right away here, right in the opening verses, that the evidence of the Spirit in your life is not fundamentally about a dramatic display of miraculous gifts. He says, it's, it's about confessing Jesus as Lord. Look again at verses 1 through 3 in chapter 12. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and then this is really key. He says, no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul doesn't mean that no one can make the sounds and speak the phrase, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But no one can truly say that, believing it, and all that that means except by the Holy Spirit, which means this, that who really has the Holy Spirit in their life? Who is really uniquely gifted by God for his mission. Not just those who speak in tongues, not just those who heal, but everyone who says and believes Jesus is Lord. 
Receiving, confessing, following, obeying Jesus as Lord is the most important evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. It's the most important evidence that you have the Holy Spirit, that you are gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit, is that you declare that Jesus is Lord. Now, Christians throughout church history have debated about the place and role of those more extraordinary gifts that Paul lists here. And that's not our focus in the message this morning. But I want to say this. We should always be open to how the Holy Spirit is working. We should never immediately write something off as not the work of the Spirit. We should be discerning, of course. But we should always be open to the work of the Spirit. But here's the encouragement for you this morning. If you are a Christian, if you have declared that Jesus is Lord, that he is my only hope in life and in death, that I belong to him, then you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There isn't something else you have to do. There isn't another thing waiting for you. If you are with Jesus, if you belong to him, if you have declared that he is Lord, that I am with him, that he is my only hope in life and in death, then you, the only way that you are able to do that is by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that you have received the Spirit in the fullness. No, that means that you are uniquely gifted. Paul says in verse 5 that each is given a manifestation of the Spirit, each and every one. In verse 11, he says that all these gifts are empowered by the same Spirit who apportions to each person individually. But what does that mean, right? Do, do, do I have one of the gifts that Paul lists here? Are there other gifts besides the, one that Paul, the ones that Paul lists here in this chapter? Uh, how are these gifts different from just natural talents and abilities that I might have that God has given me also? And, and one scholar put it this way, and I was really helped by this, is all authentic Christian experience is led by the Spirit, bears the fruit of the Spirit, and is empowered by the Spirit. There is thus a sense in which all Christian life is a gift of the Spirit. That's right. All Christian life is a gift of the Spirit. Everything about it. He says this is undoubtedly one of the reasons why it is difficult to provide from Paul a sharply defined class of spiritual gifts. Because there's Paul lists out some here in 1 Corinthians 12. There's other lists in, in the book of Romans and other spots that these come up. Peter mentions some. But it's, we don't get a catalog in the New Testament of a, kind of a complete list of gifts. We just kind of get example lists of gifts. But the point of these gifts, whether they are ordinary gifts like giving, leading, teaching, helping, mercy, or sort of more extraordinary gifts, or simply God-given talents and skills, the, the, the point is this, that these gifts, that the Spirit empowers their use so that Jesus gets the glory. That, that's the key function that makes it a spiritual gift, is that Jesus is getting the glory. Because it gets hard to parse between what's a natural ability, what's a, what's a spiritual gift. But is Jesus getting the glory? That's when you know it's being empowered by the Spirit. All of this means that as Christians, you have been uniquely designed and gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is true of you if you are a Christian this morning. There is a reason why you have the deep feeling that you were created to contribute in some way. That, that even if you've been told your whole life, and I, I don't know all of your stories, but even if you've been told your whole life, whether implicitly or maybe even explicitly, that you don't matter, 
that, that you're not very good at anything, that you don't have much to offer, that there are moments when, when even if you've begun to believe that, there, there are moments when you know that that can't be true. You are uniquely gifted and you belong. That's what we see in verses 4 through 11. We are uniquely gifted for a diverse unity. We're uniquely gifted for a diverse unity. And I'm going to read a few more verses here, and, and I want you to listen carefully to the emphasis that Paul puts here, both on the unity of the church and also the diversity of gifts within that church, unity and diversity. So, so look at verse 4, and, and listen to what Paul says here, and listen for that twofold emphasis. Now, there are a varieties of, of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Then down to verse 11. And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So it is with Christ. And this strong emphasis both on unity and diversity, on belonging and uniqueness, it makes perfect sense given that God himself, and we, we looked at this at the back, very back at the beginning of our, our series on the Holy Spirit, that God himself is both one and three. That this, this mystery of the triune nature of God, God is one and three. It makes perfect sense why he loves unity and diversity. The God of the, university lo of the universe loves unity, but not uniformity. In fact, someone has said it this way, that he loves diversity so much that when he sends a snowstorm, no two flakes are identical. Uh, no two people are identical, and God loves that, and, and he meant it to be that way. A New Testament scholar, D.A. Carson, points out that, that dictators of the right and the left seek to establish their brand of harmony by forcefully imposing monotonous sameness, by seeking to limit differentiation. God establishes his brand of harmony by a lavish grant of highly diverse gifts, each contributing to the body as a whole. Right, so sameness, uniformity, those are not marks of the Holy Spirit. That means that when we don't all look alike, when we don't all think alike, when we don't all have the same vocations, that means the Holy Spirit is at work. That's evidence that the Spirit is at work building a community of believers. And you can be assured wherever you see a church body or the church at large where, where all people are supposed to look the same, dress the same, respond to God in the same way, talk the same, do the same kinds of things, serve God in the same way, that that's not a work of the Spirit. And, and listen, maybe you feel this morning or you have for a while that you don't belong in the church. You might wonder, where, where do you fit in? You might look around and say, I'm not really like these people. Or maybe this is even your first Sunday here, and you've been looking for a church, and you just thought, I just feel like there's a place I just don't, I don't fit in. I don't belong. I need to be more similar than all these people. But that isn't the way that God has put the church together. 
It would be as strange as meeting someone who had 26 ears or 15 arms. Or, or think about the largest and the smallest bones in your body. So the largest bone in your body is, is your femur. The, the, the smallest one is the stape. It's a, it's a tiny bone in your ear. Right? Without one, you can't walk. Without the other, you can't hear. One is bigger than, but not more important than. One is smaller than, but not less essential. We need you here. I need you here. You need me here. No matter how valuable or not you feel, no matter how much you feel like your, your combination of gifts or abilities or talents doesn't seem to fit or belong, you do belong. Do you hear that, friends? You belong here. Not just in the local church kind of generally, but like in Christ's community, at the Brookside campus, you belong here. You are not here by accident. In this time, in this season, in this moment, God has brought you here. And not only that, you are necessary to the beauty that God is bringing to the world through this little local church family in this corner of Kansas City in 2021. Which brings us to our final point here this morning, and that is not only are we uniquely gifted for this diverse unity of the body of Christ, but we are uniquely gifted for mission both on Sunday and on Monday. We are uniquely gifted for mission both on Sunday and on Monday. The gifts that we are given by the Holy Spirit aren't just for us. They are for others. Paul writes this in verse 7. He says, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gifts that you've been given, the manifestation of the Spirit that you have been uniquely given in your set of abilities and talents and gifts is for the common good. It's for others. And I think we sort of get this in, in exchanging gifts with one another in everyday life, right? Some gifts that we receive are primarily for us, and, and other gifts are given to us so that we can help others, right? It's the, it's the difference between a spa day and a KitchenAid, right? It's the, it's the difference between a, a nice bottle of scotch and, and uh, you know, I don't know, a lawnmower, right? The gifts and abilities that the Spirit has given us and empowered in your life are more like a tool belt than a recliner, now, this doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the gifts that we've been given or get great joy from using them. In fact, the fact that you get joy from using those gifts, from doing a certain activity, from, from participating in, in, in the church and the community in a certain way is usually actually a sign that that's a, a thing that the Spirit's uniquely gifted you for, having great joy in that. But rather, the focus is on others. It doesn't just benefit you. When we moved into our new house, I bought some power tools. I had, didn't have very many power tools. I got some new power tools. I was excited about this. But they weren't any fun just, just to look at. I, I even got to test them out on a few pieces of scrap wood, you know, a circular saw and that kind of thing. And that was all right. I mean, I got to see how they worked. But it wasn't until I got to use them to fix something in the house, to build something for the house, for our family, for our guests, that I really experienced the joy of using them. Now, another question that I think comes up here for us is, are these gifts primarily for serving in the church? Or are they mostly for Sunday? Or are spiritual gifts for Monday also? And it's clear in this context that when Paul uses the language of the common good, he's primarily speaking about 
the Corinthian church, where they're, where they're gathered together in worship, because that's where the problems are occurring. Again, Paul is speaking to their gathered worship, their kind of Sunday morning gathering, if you will. That's where he's, his primary emphasis is on this passage. But, but can you imagine the Holy Spirit giving you gifts, empowering your abilities, and then saying, now, you have these gifts, but you only are going to use those for a couple hours on Sunday morning. You're, you're only going to use them maybe when you get together with your community group, uh, or maybe when you get together with a friend for coffee and you're talking about the Bible. But other than that, I don't want you to use those gifts and abilities. They, they aren't for when you're parenting. They, they're not for your work at the office or when you're on the job site. Can, can you imagine the Spirit doing that? That's just silly. God's design is for integration, not fragmentation. For wholeness, not compartmentalization. I, I love how theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard explains this. This is an excerpt from his book, The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, just let me read you this. He says, let's say I'm a plumber and I'm going to clean out someone's sewer. How will I do this as Jesus would do this? If you encounter difficulties with, with people you are serving or with pipe or machinery, you will never fight that battle alone. You invoke the presence of God. You expect to see something that is happening that is not the result of you. If you train yourself to thank God when those coincidences happen, you will see them as a pattern in your life. The crucial thing, Willard says, is to be attentive to God's hand, not to get locked into one-on-one -on -one thinking. It's just me and this pipe. Never do that. Friends, you are gifted and empowered for God's mission on Sunday and on Monday. I mean, just think about, maybe, I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible, but there's this story in the Old Testament of a guy named Joseph. And God has gifted Joseph extraordinarily, both with supernatural ability and with ordinary ability. And so God gives him the supernatural ability to interpret the dreams of the king of Egypt. So the king of Egypt has these crazy dreams, and he doesn't know what they mean. He's terrified, and then Joseph comes, and this is kind of a, a divine, miraculous, spiritual gifting. Joseph is able to discern what those dreams mean, that there is a famine that's going to come on the land of Egypt. But God, Joseph also has just kind of more ordinary gifts, but he's extraordinarily gifted as a leader and an administrator. And so he's able then to act on the knowledge that God has given him through these dreams to put into place a whole system of, of food storage and management so that when the famine comes, there's food available for all people. Now, Joseph was gifted and empowered to be a blessing to the family of God and also to love and serve and bless everyone, even people who would end up oppressing and enslaving God's people. It wasn't just for God's people. It was for the common good of everyone. So, so how do we apply this in our lives? Well, well, here are a few ideas. Just a few quick ideas here. First, thank the Spirit for your gifts. I mean, even if you don't fully understand all the dynamics of those gifts in your life, but just thank Him that you know the promise of this passage is that you have been gifted by the Spirit. So thank Him for those, for who He made you to be. That you are not an accident. That the one Lord, the one Holy Spirit, the one God has empowered and gifted and called you. Thank Him for that. Ask him to help you to find joy in the unique combination of gifts and abilities that he's given to you. Uh, second, thank the Spirit for the gifts of others. 
for who he's made them to be. Because you need them and their gifts. You can't do this on your own. No, no matter how strong of a femur bone you are, you need muscles and tendons and nerves to be able to do anything meaningful. We need one another. Thank the Spirit that he has placed you in this particular body of Christ at this particular moment with the other people around you for this moment. We need one another. We, we need to be connected to one another in relationships, which is why gathered worship on Sunday and in community groups and classes, all those things are so vital. And then finally, especially on this, on this Labor Day weekend, you might ask God, in the place where I spend the most of my time, whether that's at work or at school or whatever it might be, God, how have you uniquely gifted and shaped me? And how would you like me to love and serve others in that place where I spend the majority of my time with the unique combination of gifts that you've given me? And, and if you're looking for a, sort of a concrete next step, and I know we've been talking about this for a while now, but I can't encourage you strongly enough to sign up for Church for Monday class. That, that whole class is all about better understanding who God is and, and how he's called and equipped us for the mission in his mission in the world in every facet of life. It, it starts really soon. It starts a week from Tuesday, so it's coming up quick, but it's not too late to sign up if you haven't or if you've been thinking about it. Um, I'd love to talk with you more about it, ask, answer any questions, and to sign up, you just go to our, our website, our new website, and um, you can go to Brookside, and then just go to events and search for Church for Monday class, and uh, you can sign up right there. There's no cost to it. Um, we'd love to have you a part of that. So friends, let me close with this. You were made to be unique and you were made to belong. And that belonging is possible because Jesus, our King, our Lord, died and rose again to forgive our sin and to raise us to new life. We were excluded, alone, isolated, but Jesus came to find us in that place, to rescue us from death, and then he's given us the Holy Spirit to empower and gift you to be a part of his mission of bringing the good news of life that is really life to a lost, hurt, and broken world. A whole new mission of meaning and purpose and joy and belonging. A unity that doesn't erase diversity. Let's pray.